Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're taking a look at the 1994 UFO landing and subsequent encounter that happened in Zimbabwe, Africa. Now, this article comes from a Daily Hampshire Gazette. You can find it at gazettenet.com, and it's an article that has to do with the uh, encounter and also this upcoming documentary, which I hope to see. The title says, What Did the Children See? Whatley Filmmakers Documentary examines a famous UFO incident outside a an African school. The, the author is Steve, looks like Fair, P-F-A-R-R-E-R. Starts off and says, It's considered one of the largest mass sightings of UFOs in history. On September 16, 1994, outside a school in rural Zimbabwe, 62 young students playing during a morning recess reported seeing a strange silver craft come down from the sky and land in a nearby field by a clump of trees. Then the students said, One or more humanoid creatures, dressed in what seemed like skin-tight black, making odd movements, approached them. One of the students said the creatures seemed to communicate with them telepathically, transmitting a message of concern about the damage human beings were doing to the earth. Soon enough, it became a significant news story in Africa and other parts of the world, drawing in a veteran BBC producer and cameraman and a renowned Harvard psychiatrist, with everyone trying to determine what, if anything, the children had witnessed. Now remember, this is a mass sighting. They might have been able to pass this whole thing off if it had just been one or two kids, kind of like what happened in uh, you know, South America back in the 90s. But in this situation, you had 62 eyewitnesses, and the accounts all matched. It goes on and says, Now, a Watley filmmaker and photographer has revisited the story, making the first full-length documentary about the events at what's known as the Aerial School, including interviews with several of the former students today in their 30s, or approaching 40s, and how the incident affected them. But Aerial Phenomena, which will have its first public screening tonight, <clears throat> and October 7th and 8th, at Northampton's Academy of Music, is not so much an exploration of UFOs or science fiction, but rather an examination of what it means to experience a strange, unsettling event, and then feel compelled to keep it secret, fearing that talking about it will only invite disbelief, ridicule, or worse. Now, I think you can find... Uh, as far as documentaries go, I, I know that there's some stuff floating around out there where there's a video of John Mack interviewing these kids, and it is, it's, it's just uh, fascinating, mesmerizing to see these children, children at the time, back in, in 94, <clears throat> describing these creatures. The one little kids, they asked the little kid, how did they, did they communicate with you? And they put their finger to the forehead telepathically. It's a haunting, uh, haunting collection of interviews that John Mack did with these kids. It goes on, it says, but aerial phenomena, which will have its first public scene tonight at Northampton's Academy of Music, is not so much an exploration of UFOs or science fiction, but rather an examination of what it means to experience a strange, 
unsettling event and then feel compelled to keep it secret, feeling that all <clears throat> feeling that talking about it will only invite disbelief, ridicule, or worse. Filmmaker, producer, and co-writer Randall Nickerson, a Watley native who splits his time between the Valley and New York City, says he first became familiar with the aerial school story in 1995 when he saw some of the original TV footage of the event, particularly some interviews with school children who were in grades 1st through 6. Quote, I had no specific conclusion to draw from that, he said, during a recent phone call from Watley, but I was impressed with what the children said. They seemed very authentic and consistent. In 2007, Nickerson said he was, he was approached by the John E. Mack Institute, named after the late Harvard psychiatrist who became involved with the 1994 story, to make a short documentary about the interviews Mack did with the schoolchildren. Nickerson said he began re-examining the story, but soon sensed there was much more to tell. The more I dug into the research, the more it seemed I could really only tell the story with a full-length documentary, he said. But that hadn't been my plan, and it ended up taking a lot longer than I thought it would. There was so much fundraising involved, but I felt I couldn't pay I couldn't put my name to the film without telling this deeper story. <clears throat> well, he's got a point. I mean, the interviews with these kids, like I said, are mesmerizing. But what led up to the interview? What led up to the interview was this large UFO landing in a field across from the school. Uh, what, four or five of these aliens descend out of this craft and begin communicating with these children telepathically? There's a lot to unpackage here. I mean, was this UFO an actual machine? Or was it some sort of uh, third dimension object? And what about these aliens? The kids described these things as being sh these short creatures, they look like a, the head shaped like a like a typical gray, but it says that they were dressed in skin tight black. Now, this is something that we hear a lot when we hear these descriptions of aliens that the uh, clothing that they're wearing, it's like it's not like clothing so much as it's like a spacesuit. It just completely uh, clings to every curve of their body. It's almost like it's part of their body. We also know that these things, as far as their faces go, they, one child describes the eyes as being low down on the face and quite large, almond-shaped eyes. Once again, much like these gray aliens. Now, some UFO investigators think the grays themselves might be um, some sort of uh, robotic uh, product of the real aliens. So we don't know. Were these things aliens? Were these things some sort of AI uh, uh ambassadors sent here by uh, another entity? We never really get a clear answer. And first off, what's going on with this concern for the environment? They're in the middle of Africa, for one thing. I mean, probably going to have better environmental conditions there. And environmental conditions are probably going to be closer to uh, origin there than they would be in a place like New York. But what's, what's with aliens traveling, traveling millions of miles to tell us to do a better, go better job taking care of Earth. I mean, is this some sort of um, ploy to get control over us? I mean, very strange. A lot of questions to be answered. Now he goes on, he says, Nickerson's film crew includes a number of area professionals with significant documentary credits, including co-writer and editor Christopher Seward of Asheville, editor of the Michael Moore documentaries Fahrenheit 9-11 and Sicko, and, <clears throat> and editor Rick Degree of Florence, who has worked with filmmakers such as Ken Burns, Larry Hott, and Diane Carsey. 
in addition, Rebecca Rideout, the owner of the of Todd Video in Greenville, served as associate producer of post-production supervisor, and Ann Krasowski, formerly of Watley, and now living in Maryland, was an assistant producer. Aerial Phenomena draws on archival TV footage from the 1994 event, including interviews with students, teachers, and the school's headmaster. Colin Mack, Mackey School officials had students separately draw pictures of what they had seen, and the film shows many of these examples, revealing the images were quite consistent. School personnel had all been in a meeting when the students were outside. Mackey, in one of the early TV interviews, echoes what most of the teachers say as well. Quote, I definitely feel the students saw something. I agree it could be something we're not common with. <laughs> well, yes. In addition, the film relates that just a few days before the aerial incident, numerous UFO sightings, fast-moving lights in the sky without sound, had been reported across parts of southern Africa. Television stations and news organizations fielded dozens and dozens of inquiries and then produced stories on the incidents. That's interesting. And so oftentimes happens with these famous UFO ca cases. When you really get to dig it in on them, you find out that leading up to the actual encounter or abduction or cow mutilation, that there were multiple UFO sightings in that area. And sometimes we have the, the big event occurs, and then all these background sightings just kind of disappear. They kind of meld into this sea of information. But I think it's important to remember that not only do we have a mass sighting, an encounter with between 62 people, even though they were young people, and these aliens in a UFO, we had that encounter, we had that mass encounter, those mass eyewitnesses, they all, they all basically agreed on what happened, as if that wasn't enough to point to say, yeah, something happened. We had multiple sightings of UFOs all over that, all over that geographical area, leading up to this. It says, Nickerson and his crew, quote, I could never have made this film without them, he says. All so inter also interviewed the late Tim Leach, a BBC cameraman and producer in South Africa, who was the first journalist to visit Aerial School in 1994. Leach, a hardened war correspondent, was deeply drawn to the mystery of the children's sightings, eventually to the detriment of his career at BBC. I couldn't handle this UFO thing, he tells Dickerson. I just It just didn't make sense. I couldn't get my head around it. Couldn't get his head around it. This is classic uh, cognitive, cognitive dissonance. He, this, uh, this guy, you know, a war correspondent, I'm sure, from that time period, had been raised as a child, no doubt, and his whole environment... Uh, was based on this notion of, uh, of a physical world that didn't permit the concept that UFOs could be real. It, it didn't allow for anything paranormal. It was just what you see, what you touch. And that's the problem with so many people. They, if they can't see it and touch it, then they don't believe in it. Instead of just accepting the possibility that there could be something there that we don't know. There could be UFOs. I mean... There could be life after death. Personally, I believe there is life after death. But when people don't allow for that possibility, when they just live their life in this fishbowl of Newtonian physics, they don't allow for the possibility, I guess you could say, of the quantum side. 
when they're faced with the reality of these things that we call paranormal, or these things that we call UFOs, it's almost mind-blowing for them. Because it's outside the fishbowl. It's outside the reality. They're not prepared to deal with it. Just couldn't deal with it, he says. goes on and says, Leach ended up calling Mac, the Harvard psychiatrist, about the story. Mac came to Zimbabwe some weeks later to interview the children, footage of which is seen in aerial phenomena. Mac, too, became convinced the children's testimony was authentic, though some critics at the time claimed he had coached some of the responses. Others believed the whole incident was a case of mass hysteria. A few years later, Mac had also begun interviewing adults who had said they had encounters with extraterrestrials and aerial phenomena. Relates how that worked, plus Mac's involvement with the aerial street, with the aerial school event, created a huge backlash for the professor. He got slammed from every quarter, said Nickerson. His credibility as a professional and an academic was really called into question. So this guy who had, you know, his great academic credentials, who, you know, working at this college where I, you know, it's a university. You're supposed to be open-minded. He opens his mind a little bit to this possibility, and all of a sudden, he's an outcast. He's a conspiracy theorist. He's a wacko. And this is the social pressure that's put on people sometimes to deny what they've witnessed with their own eyes. It says, Many in the media couldn't resist the storyline of a respected Harvard psychiatrist and Pulitzer Prize winner. Think about it. Pulitzer Prize winner. I mean, you don't get much more... Uh, you know, much more glory than that in academia. Delving into UFOs leading to news articles with mocking headlines shown in the film, such as, Should Harvard Beam Him Up? Another article with Star Trek re <clears throat> reference began with, Aliens Land at Harvard. John Mack lends, lends his reputation to a dubious starship enterprise. And it's really sad when you think about it. You have people uh, with... Maybe they've got a journalism degree. I don't know. Nothing against that. But you have people that are far less accomplished academically than this psychiatrist. Far less accomplished. With maybe a third of the education this guy has. And 10% of the life experience. And yet, they're using their position as a staff writer in an article to condemn this man for being open-minded. Trying to destroy his career. You know, small-minded people attacking open-minded, great-minded people. It's really, it's a sad comment on our, on our society. There is no overall narr narrator in Aerial Phenomena. Its core might be, Nick, <clears throat> might be Nickerson's interviews with the former students now scattered across Africa, Great Britain, Britain Canada, Australia, and other countries. The filmmaker says he ended up spending about 15 months in Africa and also traveled to a few other countries to talk to over 40 of the students. Though most did not agree to appear on to appear on camera, it's sad that you know society's pressure has been so applied to these people. And then forty years later, most of them don't feel like they want to appear on camera. They're obviously afraid of what retribution they might suffer. But their stories were still the same, he said, and they didn't and they they didn't say maybe I was wrong or I'm not sure what I saw, and they wanted me to tell the story. It's something they've been holding inside for so long. In the film, one woman says she'd never been told, one woman says she'd never even told her husband what she'd witnessed. From another student who Nickerson saw, says, was serving in the British military, when he interviewed him, 
says he'd also kept silent because otherwise most people would probably think I'm nuts. Nickerson puts another former student, Emily Trim, at the <clears throat> center of the documentary, showing her returning to the aerial school some 20 years after her parents, missionaries from Canada, yanked her. She was third grade at the time, and her two other siblings out of, out of school because they evidently could not deal with what their children described to them. In one scene, a tearful trim says, The people in my life who were supposed to be closest to me and part of my support system, and their voice trails off. Then she adds, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it was there. Wow. Now, these people were missionaries. I'm sure they had a Christian viewpoint for their life narrative. But maybe they needed to read the Bible a little bit more because there are instances described in the Bible that sound very much like UFO encounters. They just They're just in there with Ezekiel's wheel. I mean, other things. Her parents could, could, could have done a little more research and maybe developed some kind of an opinion on this to at least comfort their kid to not think that they were losing their mind because this happened to them. It goes on, it says, Nickerson says he also had an encounter when he was 10 with something strange and otherworldly, though he won't provide details, but the experience has stayed with him and reinforced his belief that things happen in our world that can't be readily explained and that people who experience them should not be dismissed out of hand. He notes that aerial phenomena is screaming at a time when there's renewed focus and interest, including at high levels of government on what has become more commonly known as UAP incidents, unidentified aerial phenomena. Well, here you go. We have the government once again trying to define the terms. As I've said before, if they can define the terms, if they're the ones that are allowed to uh, use their acronyms and definitions, then they're the ones that are allowed to control the narrative. So whether you want to call it a UAP or a UFO, they haven't adequately explained to us what it is or what they know about it. All they have done adequately is hide information from us to this point. This spring, for instance, it says the U.S. Department of Defense held hearings. Now, here we go. This is the pivot. And we can hardly get through an article without this pivot. And I think what this is about is... I don't know if this is something that's just... You know, if this is some kind of conspiracy. But what it seems like is people, in general, have this need to... Um, to keep the narrative that they have for themselves, and that is that UFOs aren't real. So, when they're presented with evidence like this Zimbabwe case, where it's pretty clear something happened, in order for them to feel comfortable, they have to appeal to authority. Appeal to authority. And what we mean by that is they're looking to this daddy figure, which is usually the U.S. government, to comfort them to tell them it's going to be okay, we've got control, and to maybe, you know, put someone out there to let them know that, yes, these things are happening, we can't tell you what they are, but we're in control, don't worry about it, go back to sleep. And that's what I see this pivot right here. This spring, for instance, the U.S. Department of Defense held hearings before Congress that described myriad sightings in the last couple of decades that Navy pilots and other observers have made of mysterious flying objects that moved at unbelievable speed or that seemed to lack any visible means of propulsion, defying, defying human understanding of aerodynamic physics. 
In that sense, Nickerson hopes aerial phenomena, which he is looking up to, which he is looking to put on an online platform, will become part of the broader conversations and encourage other people who have stories to tell about their experiences and to come forward. And then it goes here and gives the release date for October 7th and 8th uh, here, it looks like, in New Hampshire. The October 8th screening will be followed by a panel discussion, both live and remote. This is something to keep track of, I think. It uh, looks like it could possibly be a pretty good a pretty good documentary on this. I, there's a short video, uh, about a three-minute uh, preview of the film, if you want to go to the site here. It's uh, the Daily Hampshire Gazette at gazettenet.com. Uh, overall, fascinating case from 1994 in Zimbabwe. Until next time, this is UFO Warning. Over and out.